you go if you couldn't walk? Would you go anywhere at all? For most of his life, Andrew McDonald didn't. Born with a disease called osteomalacia, which impacts less than a thousand Americans each year, Andrew has spent most of his life indoors. After all, when every step you take is in pain, why would you take any steps at all? But a few years ago, all of that changed. Andrew decided to go on a road trip around the UK, and for a guy that had never really been more than three or four hours away from home, especially on his own, this was a big deal. I decided to join him on that trip, and so today on the Get Lost podcast, we're going to experience a first. Today, I'm going to tell you about the time that Andrew McDonald and I went on a cross-country road trip in the United Kingdom. I'm going to tell you how we did it without really leaving the car. So if you're ready to go for a ride and you're ready to redefine your expectations of reality, take a trip with me. Let's get lost. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills, a freelance travel writer with Travel Channel, National Geographic, Business Insider, a couple of other places. And I'm also the founder of Sold Outside Exploration Company. You can read our travel blogs at soldoutblog.com. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Uh, here in the lovely studios in Memphis, Tennessee, is a friend from very far away. His name is Andrew McDonald. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Andrew is a UK-based web developer. He's the owner of Metal Potato, which you can see at metalpotato.com if anybody's in the need of a responsive website. He is the guy to go to. But more importantly, Andrew is one of the very few sold outside soldiers. He and I went on a 4,500-mile-some-odd road trip two years ago across his home country, and today, we're going to talk about that country, and we're going to get his take on England, Scotland, and Wales. Let's get to it. Okay, Andrew, so the first thing I want to talk to you about is where your home base is. Give us an idea of where in the world you're from. So I live and work in Plymouth, uh, which is right down in the southwest of the UK near the Cornish border. Okay. Gorgeous so how, city. How far away is that from London? That's about four hours drive, about 250 miles. Okay. So describe uh, Plymouth for us. It's a small city uh, right on the Plymouth, um, Plymouth Sound, which looks out over the ocean. We've got a massive naval base there. Most of um, our Navy ships are based there and submarines. Really nice city. So I, I think I actually haven't had a chance to go to Plymouth because we rendezvoused in london, london didn't we we met in london on that trip um, but i think people that are listening to this podcast would be surprised to hear a little bit about your story when you were growing up in plymouth you want to tell us a little bit about your circumstances and what that was like well i was just a normal kid with a few extra issues so i've got a, a medical condition called rickets which is a, a very very old condition 
typically surrounding poor diet. Um, in my case, it's hereditary. And basically your legs and your bones are bowed and have issues. So got uh, mobility issues, shall we say. Um, and that's when I used that time rather than out playing football like all the other kids do to start businesses, work for myself and get where I am today. Right. So Ricketts led to you sort of being forced into a life indoors, more or less. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you use that as a teenager to establish uh, web design businesses. You said you were a DJ for a while. Yeah. But what's DJing like? It's fun. Um, it's uh, lively out in pubs and clubs in and around Plymouth and um, even further up the country. Did that from the age of about 13 when I got home from school. I then used to get ready and go to the local pub and, you know, play for a bunch of middle-aged drunk people in um, sometimes rough pubs, sometimes posh pubs. It was good fun at the time. And that's why you're friends with a lot of middle-aged drunk people? Yeah, that's a fair uh, assessment. <laughs> All right, so I want to tell people where the idea for this road trip came from. Um, this was in 2017, so about two and a half years ago. Two years ago this week. Oh, wow. Two years ago this week. So it was the second time I had ever been out of the country. First time was in Vietnam in January of that year. And then in August, I went out to see you. And the idea really stemmed from us both wanting to see the UK. Yeah. And you had taken the time really to plot this incredible route around the island of Great Britain. Yes. So we basically planned to start in London and make a big circle around the coast. Uh, we were going to skip Ireland because it just wasn't feasible to get the car on the ferry. And then you, you, it's just a really big hang up to get a car over there and then get it back where you want it to right. on the mainland. But... In essence, tell me a little bit about the route that you planned and what inspired you to plan the exact route, because it definitely was not the fastest way to get from no. England to Wales to Scotland and back. No way. I mean, the original idea was uh, taken from Top Gear, really. Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond and James May um, were both fans of the show, and we wanted to see England, uh, Scotland and Wales, and... Basically, we, or I, sent, spent several weeks researching all of the main routes they took in the UK, uh, some of the best driving roads, and it wasn't easy. It took weeks to, you know, find individual roads and then work out how we're going to get between all those individual roads to, to see them, and it was difficult. So did you research, you researched the filming locations? Yeah where there might be a 10 or 20 mile stretch of highway in the middle of some mountains in Scotland. Right. The goal was to get to this particular ribbon of highway. Correct. And we would take, you know, a day sometimes between little sections of these highways. That's right. And what, what was incredible is like, there were times in between where you're like, oh hell, like we're driving forever and ever and ever and there's no end. I mean, we almost didn't get out of the car at all the whole trip. And then you get to them, and it's like 20 minutes of this incredibly jaw-dropping perfection. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I should mention that we're recording this. If you hear some background music and noises and things, 
we're actually uh, upstairs of Cafe Pontotoc in downtown Memphis. So uh, the cafe's a little bit loud downstairs. You might hear some background music and stuff. Um, all right, so let's go back to the start of the trip, though, because I want people to sort of picture in their minds, if you can, a, a map of England or Great Britain. And think about drawing, like taking a crayon and drawing lines all around the outside, like pretty much every coast road, all the way into Wales, all the way up to Scotland, and then sort of back again through the highlands, and then down through the middle of England, which is sort of rolling hills until you get into London. And all of this sounds pretty easy, I think, for most Americans, because we're used to packing up in the car, driving eight hours to get to the beach, or two days to get to the desert, or uh, for people who live out west, Maybe just drive two hours each way to get to a particular mountain that you want to hike, spend all day out in the wilderness, and then you come back the next day. But the point is, I guess, we're used to driving long distances because we have these big, empty roads. But it's not like that when you're driving in the UK, is it? No. What is driving in the UK like compared to America? Well, it's a small country, first and foremost. Um, we've got 70 million people that live there at this point, uh, and it in terms of land mass, it's probably, you know, 10, 15% of the size of the US. Um, but it's difficult. And the technological side of things was difficult because uh, a typical GPS or sat satellite navigation system is designed to take you the fastest route. Now, we wanted to go very, very specific routes. Right. So it, it was really difficult. After you've research the road you want to go on you then have to isolate waypoints and find postcodes or zip codes as you call them and we had to manually program you know as we drove um to go to the next waypoint there was it was literally impossible to set an exact route that we wanted to take and that's that's yeah. the bit i find the most difficult about this i mean we were like constantly every uh, hour or so have to set a new zip code mm. and it would take us there to like sort of where we wanted to go and cross-reference that with a google map on a laptop in the car yep uh, it, it wasn't easy which gives me an idea for an app we could make <laughs> um, but beyond that when you're actually on the road the size of the roads are a little different would you agree Yep, we drive, drive, we drive on the correct side of the road. The wrong um, side. No, no, no. And the steering wheel is on the correct side of the car, which is the right. Is that what the policeman in Chicago told you today? Well, that's what I told him. And um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a little bit different than driving in the States. Smaller roads, correct side of the road, uh, side of the road, um, and a little bit busier. What would your advice be for Americans whose first time it is driving in the UK? Learn roundabouts. You have basically none in the, U uh, the US. Not, I, I haven't come across one yet, and I've been here for a couple of weeks. Right. Um, I would probably struggle if I did come across one. You know, right. so It's bad enough just getting your head around driving on the right side of the road, and then whether you can turn right on a, on a red light or not, it's, it's very different. In the UK, it's a little bit easier, and I think the bit that Americans or, or any other country, for that matter, will struggle with is mainly roundabouts, and right. we, we've got a lot of them. Right. So let's keep that in mind and keep that map in your mind of the island of Great Britain with a, sort of a crayon outline around the coast. And I want to take you into our world uh, when we meet up in London. This is actually the first Get Lost podcast where I've been one of the subjects. 
So I think you guys are, who've been wondering are going to learn a little bit more about what led me into the path that I'm in. Um, and Andrew is actually a, a big part of how that happened. So let's get to it. Um, I arrived in London, as best I can remember, and hopped in one of those like old school black London cabs. And they look like old cars. What are they called? Uh, London taxis, what they're generally referred to as. London taxi. And you can imagine it in your mind if you've ever seen a movie of London. Of course, they have the red double-decker bus. That's sort of traditional. And then you have this other little black cab that's sort of like a squished-up, weird Mini Cooper-looking thing. So I hop in the back of that, and there's some guy from, I have no idea, somewhere in Eastern Europe driving and... You know, I, I get a specific address from Andrew. Meet me at this like, hotel parking lot, uh, 15, 20 minutes outside of the airport. So I arrive and relatively uneventful journey. And Andrew's in this big white Mercedes C-Class. Yep. And it's it's got black racing stripes that have been stickered onto it. I mean, really legit though, uh, black racing stripes and then on the side is a black like shield and a, a Raven logo, which is our like little icon. And it says sold outside Europe. I mean, this thing is like done up like a, like a real like cannonball run sort of car. I mean, yeah. it was legit. And we got GoPro strapped to it. And there's one like there's a GoPro on the hood. Yep. It had a GoPro sort of on the roof in the back that we would move around some. Uh, we had one inside to like record that. I mean, we took this Top Gear idea, and for those of you that haven't seen the show, uh, I would challenge you to, to Google it. Just uh, take five minutes, hit pause, and Google Top Gear, and you'll see a clip that pulls up of what we're talking about. But it's basically three English guys that go all over the world and have zany adventures. The idea is to review cars that they're in, but in reality, it's more just about the, the journey, you know. So this car is fully equipped. Like I'm, I'm blown away. I'm like, holy crap! Like, this is way more legit than the sold-out stuff I do here in America. Like, we have a real car. Like, we look important. And Andrew's in the car. We've never met before, and he sort of waves. He's like, "Hello, mate." Hello, mate. Hello, mate. <laughs> you ready to go? You oh. sound more English than I do. <laughs> I'm getting good at that. But sometimes I go into Australian. It's really a disaster. <laughs> Just really disaster. So we get in the car, and I had known about the route, but I just hadn't processed it, you know? And I look at the map, and I'm like, holy hell, man, are we going to have time to do this? Because day one starts, and, like, we've, we're meant to go to Stonehenge, stop there, and then continue on from Stonehenge into Wales and go to this, like, Airbnb cottage, <laughs> which ended up, <laughs> ended up being terrifying in itself. Yeah. But I thought I was going to die. Take it through people from your perspective. When we first meet at the airport, what's going through your head? And as far as like, how are we going to get there? When and where? Well, at this point, I didn't even know if we'd have enough time to do half of the stuff we were planning to do. We were there for seven days, essentially, which isn't very long when you've got four and a half thousand miles to cover. Yeah. And three you countries, know? really. Three countries. Yep. Um, so it's all practically all areas of our country apart from Ireland and that there is a, is a, about an eight hour drive sorry a, an eight hour ferry ride each way so that's why right. we left it out but um, yeah we headed for Stonehenge which we hadn't originally scheduled to go to 
we were going to drive directly to Wales. Right. Um, but get, to get into Wales, you've got to drive within about 20 minutes of Stonehenge. So it was a no-brainer, really. Right. Um, and that was interesting. Well, we have to be careful about how we explain the Stonehenge adventure. I'll let you explain it. Right. <laughs> So 2017 in the world of digital content creation was the time of copious drone footage. And nowadays, if you take a drone with you, it's probably going to be illegal almost anywhere you go. Um, but we found a way at Stonehenge to fly a drone. And this is tricky, isn't it? We needed to get footage of Stonehenge because we knew that we were going to create content with it. Right. Um, but when you drive up to Stonehenge, it's a little bit deceiving. You see the pictures of it and sort of the, the specials on TV where they always have these camera shots of like early morning light and like really misty, you know, soft lighting coming up over this middle of nowhere looking conglomerate of rocks. And they are really impressive. They're probably like 20 feet tall or something. But what the footage doesn't really tell you is that in actuality, Stonehenge is not in the middle of nowhere. No. It's just off the damn highway. It is. Yeah. It's covered on all sides by main roads or army bases or farms. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not in the middle of nowhere, which is what you would think it is if you had seen it on television. Yeah. I always thought it was like this, you know, obscure place. No. No, it's a main deal. It, I mean, it's, it's like going to McDonald's off the highway, and there's a big visitor center, and there's a ton of people, um, and lots and lots and lots of tourists. So none of that is really what you want in your digital content. None of that's what you would see on TV. And in our minds, this was still a time where we're trying to kind of replicate what we've seen on TV instead of showing the authentic travel experiences, which is what I would do now. Right. And we were quite lucky that we got there late. So yeah. all the tourists for the day had pretty much disappeared. There was, if there was a couple of people there, I would be quite surprised. Right, right. So, so we were lucky in that sense. Um, but we were able to pull over to the side and fly up a drone for just a minute. And that was about it. We really couldn't get too close to it, but we ended up getting what we needed to do. Yep. Uh, and on we went to Wales. So... If you can imagine, it's your second time out of the country or first time even. You landed in England. That's all new. You know, kind of overwhelming, but at least they speak the same language. And then you're going to go into Wales, which I think is a void for a lot of Americans. Like, the people I know don't even know that Wales is there. Yeah. And I think even the English kind of forget this. there. You're right. Um, it's, Wales is not too far from where I live. It's probably a couple of hours drive. And... The stuff we saw in Wales, I was gobsmacked that we had that on our doorstep. That's right, yeah. I, it, it's really an amazing place, and when people ask me where they should go when they visit London, I actually tell them to get on a train right. and go to Wales because it's, it's really remote feeling. I mean, there's cities there, there's people, but you go from these flat plains, which is sort of like Stonehenge is on, and in Wales you cross this gargantuan bridge to get to the country and almost immediately you see mountains you see forests you see a few little dodgy kind of cities as you would call them 
Yep. And a few really, really old towns as well. You know, towns that still don't even have electricity, but have farms everywhere. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, even I didn't know that, and I've lived there all my life. Yeah, and how far is Wales from your house? So the border to Wales is probably about 140 miles. Okay. Um, but the top end border, you know, it's probably 500 miles away. So, you know, I, I'm very close to one end of Wales. Right. And you, you'd been there before, right? I've been there, um, but only to see like concerts or music shows. And that's in places like Cardiff, which is by far the biggest city in Wales. You, I've never really seen all the other aspects that you and I saw on the trip. Right, right. And what, one of the first things we saw is uh, this Airbnb that Andrew had booked. And he more or less booked all the Airbnbs. And this was still sort of a new thing then? If, it, if was. You, it was a first for me. First for you. I, I don't think Airbnb had been out really that long or popular that long. So uh, we booked this Airbnb in Wales. It's sort of in the mountains. It's a rustic cottage. And, I mean, it looks really cool. I think it was, like, stone. I mean, it was, like, a hobbit house almost. Yeah. Um, but tell people what it was like to get there because that's sort of where we ran into our first problem. Yeah. It, it was an old cottage in the middle of nowhere. And we had been driving at that point for about five, six hours. So it's 11 p.m. pretty much. It's pitch black. There is no street lighting at all. Uh, the roads are tiny, uh, and we're following this little map on our phone to the Airbnb. And, you know, I, I'm convinced at this point we're about to be murdered. You know, it was just in the middle of the forest with really weird-looking branches and trees, and th- the way the light was being scattered, it just looked like a horror movie. I mean, there's, like, literally abandoned uh, water wheels and, like, cemeteries and stuff on the side of this It was so road. scary. I was literally scared to death. And you're just laughing at me, you know, as I'm driving down this road. Like, man. I just look over and I remember you look like you were about to wet yourself. (laughs) So, yeah, we found it and um, pulled into the driveway. And this really old dude comes out. You know, we didn't know how to get into Airbnb property. I I naively hadn't read the check-in instructions. And you're like, dude, you've got to read the check-in instructions. You still don't bother to do that, by the way. No, I know. But I've got no signal on my phone, so we can't read the check-in instructions. We don't know where the key is. We don't know how to get into the building. And we were so lucky that the property owner lived on the property and was still awake at 11 p.m. and just came out and welcomed us. And, you know, at that point, we were fairly convinced that we weren't going to be murdered anymore. Uh, You were. I was still sleeping with one eye open. Okay. You know. So that kind of sets the stage. It's two guys that had never met in person. We're in this car. It's pretty pimp. I mean, it's tricked out. It's a nice, nice Mercedes. Uh, so we looked like we had a little money, which was a total falsehood. <laughs> you know, that was bullshit, at least on my end. Uh, and we're on this road trip. And already we've done some dubious things to acquire drone footage of a World Heritage Site, uh, which I don't condone anymore. I've learned a lot since then. Um, but we did get the footage, and we'll share some of it on Instagram, at Joe Sills, and uh, you can check out at Metal Potato. All right, and we're in the woods to reset, and tomorrow's the big day. It's day two of our big UK Top Gear road trip. Yeah, that's, that's almost the start of it. Day one was just getting to the start of the route, really, or route. 
Yeah, it, it really was. And we wake up. I remember in the morning we shot some pictures in like some old phone booths on the side of the road. And pretty soon we arrived at something that was really remarkable. And I think it's something that any first-time visitor to Europe from America is going to want to see. And we pulled up to another amazing place on the side of the road. It's called Raglan Castle in Wales. Do you remember that? I don't. This was the big I know the name, but I don't, I don't recall what you're referring to. It was the big gray castle with the moat sort of around the tower. The, I think a farmer came out and yelled at you. I do remember that. Right. So here's where we sort of diverge paths. And this is where Ricketts comes back into play. And it, I think there's a lesson here for a lot of people that travel. When we get to the castle and little things that I think most people don't think about, you think about immediately. Yes. For instance, you have to walk over stones and a little archway and there's some steps to get in the castle. And I have never had to consider in my life that right. that kind of stuff is really tricky to do. It is. Uh, we've got a mobility scooter in the back of the car, uh, but then you have to set it up. You have to do all this stuff to, to kind of get in there. I don't think we used it once for the whole time we were there. We didn't. And that's a contrast to now. We've actually gotten pretty good at that. Yeah. But back then we didn't use it. So we arrive at this, this first structure where we're sort of sharing this together. And it's the first time I've seen a real castle. And I'm like, amped man i'm like holy shit look at this it's amazing it's big castle it's really kind of a small castle now that i've seen some other things yeah but i was amped it didn't matter freaking castle sweet i'm climbing to the top like that's my goal <laughs> and you're just looking at me like dude there's no way i can climb to the top yeah and no matter how optimistic i am it it just didn't matter like there's no way to coach you like come on get in this tower because every step that you take is actually painful. It is. What is that like? I don't know any different. Right. So things that you do and take for granted, you know, I've never been able to do that. So it doesn't really enter my mind. Um, I just find other ways to enjoy experiences. So in this case is one of the main reasons we had a drone with us, you know, so certain buildings that I couldn't get into or was difficult or was painful or for whatever reason, you know, you would go and explore it. Now, I wouldn't be able to go in the building, but I can fly around it. I can track your movements if you're on the top of the castle. Um, you know, I can experience it. Yeah. And that's what I did. And, and that's how you and I hung out, really. Yes, we were in a car a lot. But when you were out of the car, I was almost there with you even if I was parked a mile away, flying a drone from an iPad, seeing very similar things to what you were seeing, but without all the pain and the issues that come with it. I don't feel like I missed anything. Uh, I think that actually you had a better view than I did 99% of the time. Probably. Uh, that's just something that I think it, it gets lost on people. These days there's a lot of back, backlash about drones, and I understand. Uh, there's some validity to that. Like, they could disturb wildlife. They're a bit noisy. Um, they can be a bit invasive. But for people that have a mobility issue, it's a freaking amazing thing. It is. 
And the first time this comes into play is at Raglan Castle, which I totally recommend for anybody who's going to the UK. It's a great place. I don't even think it costs anything to get in. If it did, it was two or three dollars. Right. Um, and I remember climbing to the top of this, this tower and way up in the sky, I could just barely hear this. And it was the coolest thing because I knew you were right there. Right. And I knew that instead of trying to like will you into this uncomfortable situation to experience this the same way I was, you had found a way to experience it in a better way almost. Right. And still work within your world. Yeah, your abilities. Your abilities. So I get down from the castle and, you know, it's so cool. We got this amazing footage, even though there was a, an asshole that came and yelled at you, right? It was. What, so break that down. He just didn't like the fact I was parked wherever I was parked. I don't remember where it was. Um, and he moaned about the fact there was a drone in the air, which was not illegal, you know, wasn't doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just said, look, we'll be out of here shortly. And that was the end of that, really. Yeah. They're just a little bit out of touch, you know. Yeah, I could see that. And, and again, it goes back to pe- most people um, who are you know, fully able to jump and climb and run and swim and, and do whatever the thing is, is we take for granted. They don't look at it from your point of view. Right. So we leave the castle, and, and I don't really remember the rest of that day. I think we, we actually did get to the Top Gear stuff. We drove up through uh, Brecon Beacons. That's right. That was gorgeous. We found a little diner on the side of the road out of the back of a, Laura's a little trainer. Yeah, uh, yeah, a little, um, just a little unit at the side of the road. Food truck. La- La- food truck. That's what I was looking for. Uh, Laura's Diner, who we are friends with on Facebook. Hi, Laura. L- lovely lady. She probably is like one of the 10 people that listens to this. Maybe. Um, and her food was great you know, at the side of the road, didn't expect it. And uh, she was a good laugh as well. Yeah. And that road, I'm, I'm glad that we remembered that because the road was a really, really well-traveled road by the show. Yeah. And it's our first taste of really living the life of Top Gear. Or we had watched these, these figures in our lives for a decade. Yeah. Go all over the world to these, you know, far out locations. What do you remember about Brecon Beacons National Park in Wales? I was just gobsmacked. We had those mountains on my doorstep. Had no idea that existed. Um, Less than a day from your house. Half a day, yeah. Um, Yeah, we were just driving through this like barrenless, almost wasteland. And then we mounted around this corner or drove around the corner. And all of a sudden, it was like a picture or a movie opening up right in front of your eyes. And the the mountains just started appearing. And I always remember Laura, she said, um, Top Gear were here filming just two weeks ago. So we were literally driving in the same tracks as as they had. uh, And it was wonderful. That's crazy. I remember she asked us if we were with them. Yeah, and that, that happened a lot. Cameras yeah, we had the car. cameras all over the place. So yeah. they, they assumed we were somebody doing something, which wasn't true at all. We were just people collecting hard drives full of video that we've never used. <laughs> it's true. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We've got hours and hours of this footage. but About 80 hours of footage. Why do you think it was that even though this is a half day from your house, you never took the time to go there? Didn't know it existed. How can that be? 
just shows how naive you can be about your own country. Yeah, I do. I mean, we were talking about this the other day. We went out to eat in Memphis, and we've seen things in Memphis that you don't go to or you haven't been to because you live here. It's true. You know, and you, you greatly enjoyed some of the things we went to see. Yeah, and just going down to Beale Street, which, you know, everyone listening to this from outside of town is like, oh, of course, Beale Street's the most famous thing in Memphis that's not Graceland. Um, but as a Memphian, and I live within walking distance of this thing, I never bother to go. Right. And we heard, like, the most incredible musician who just, I may be able to, like, dub some of his music in here. I mean, the guy was phenomenal, and he's just a guy in, like, a New York Mets jersey with sneakers on and, like, cut-off jeans just on a Saturday afternoon. He wasn't headlining anything. Right. He was a guy. He was awesome. One of a couple dozen guys playing the same time on that street. But it just shows you you should go out and experience your own country, your own city, your own block. Yeah. You know? 100%. That noise you hear um, sounds like a helicopter or something. It's just air conditioning in this uh, Airbnb. Which is really nice, though, actually. I recommend if anybody's coming to Memphis, check it out. It's uh, located on South Main above Cafe Pontotoc. So let's take a minute and talk um, about when we left Brecon Beacons. So now we've, we've pretty much killed a whole nother day. Yeah. Uh, we spend a few hours sort of tracing our route, following our little crayon around to the coast of Wales. And Brecon Beacons is sort of southerly in, in the middle. Yeah. Uh, we make it to the coast and we see a couple of like fishing villages and that sort of thing. Right. And the goal is to duck inland and drive right through the middle of an even more impressive national park. Snowdonia. Fantastic place. We missed it. Most of it. Yeah. I mean, we were going to drive right through Snowdonia, which is a huge national park with big mountains and rivers, and it's just gorgeous. Uh, but we, we had been driving for so long that day that, um, you know, it was 8 o'clock by the time we even got near the border of Snowdonia let alone get inside of it. And at that point, the light has faded, so we can't really film. Uh, we had to get to our Airbnb uh, by a certain time. The host needed, needed us there. Yeah. Um, so we kind of missed it. We, we drove one of, the, one of the first roads into Snowdonia, got a few shots as the sun went down, and kind of missed the rest of it, really. And, and we found ourselves again on, on what was like a recurring theme of the trip for the second night in a row, in the middle of the dark in a foreign land trying to find an airbnb and this was a big old house oh my god this place was fan freaking fantastic yeah you explored it a, a lot more than i did and the guy there I, I, I forgot his name but um he he gave you the history of the place and give you a tour of the place you know there's this long driveway with electric gates it was what you expect a, a multi-millionaire to be living in and you know you can rent it really cheap on airbnb it was just crazy was it like 100 it was pounds it's like 70 pounds per night yeah for we had the run of the place and this is i want you guys to close your eyes again i'm, I'm asking you to do a lot of mental pictures um but sort of picture if you're in memphis you can picture Rhodes college and if you're not you can think of like a sort of gothic cathedral because it's really what this house looked like. It, it, it's a hall, and the name is Welsh. I can't pronounce it. 
but I'll try it. And it looks something like Lian Santio or something. Sounds about right. Lian Santio. It's two L's, a Y, A N T I S I L L O, something like that. Uh, but it, it was a sort of Victorian era hall. So it, it looks crazy old. It's really only from the 1800s because the original one had burned down. Right. But it's so big that it had its own chapel. And I mean, I forget how many rooms, f- three or four stories. There's a big bell tower in the middle of it. Looks like Quasimodo would live up there. In, in fact, I learned a really creepy story about that tower on my tour. Yeah, I'd like you to tell us about that. <laughs> right. So we. I mean, it looked haunted. Oh my god, that place was. I, I have. Uh, we'll get into it in another podcast sometime. But I do have a sensitivity, I believe, to spirits and that type of thing. And I can't, like, communicate with them, really, but I can feel a presence when there is one. Uh, And that's the result of growing up in a a very haunted house in Tennessee. But when we get to this big hall, it's empty, except for, like, the one guy who lives there who's more or less our age. He was, yeah. Just, like, a total bachelor. He he was living the life, yeah. I mean, he lived there with his girlfriend, who... They were living there rent-free, and they just managed the place on behalf of his auntie, I think it was. Lama. At Lama, yes. And it had, I would guess, probably 80 rooms in this place. It was like Buckingham Palace. Oh, it was almost. It was, it was huge. And, you know, we, we were paying £70 a night for this thing, and we literally had the run of the place. There was nobody else living there apart from you, me, and... You know the guy and his girlfriend. Yeah, huge uh, staircases and, and velvet uh, drapes and velvet couches and and bathrooms with uh, claw-footed tubs, like sort of in the middle of the room, the fireplace, yeah. and a toilet you sit on and, and to flush. You have to pull a chain that's like above the toilet. It was pretty unusual here. I mean, it was a whole thing, and they stick us sort of upstairs on the second floor in rooms across this big wide hall from each other. The place was so big that it had been used, I think, during the war as like an, uh, either an orphanage or a, a boys' school or something like that. It was. It was, a, it was so it's already got the vibes, right? It's, it's empty. It's old. It's like a haunted mansion come to life. Like, all we're missing is Eddie Murphy. <laughs> it's, it's like a crazy-ass thing. And we're across the way from each other. We roll up at night. And the guy's like sort of bald and kind of like, welcome. And like. A little creepy, like he just had a little creepy vibe in the nighttime about him. He turned out to be really nice. Um, and I swear to you that night, I didn't hear any anything weird. But I'll tell you this, I kept my lamp on. It's funny, I never knew that, but I did the same thing. Oh, no shit. I did exactly the same thing, yeah. Didn't know you did that. Yeah, it, it had a vibe. This place had a secret door behind a bookshelf. No lie. Didn't know that either. Yeah. In the, in the parlor, there was like a, a bookshelf, and you pressed a certain book, and it opened up, and, and there was another <laughs> room in there. It was like the freakiest thing. Crazy. So the next morning, we made it alive. Uh, nobody got eaten by a ghost or anything. And the guy, I think his name was Chris, gives us a, a tour. And the way we did the tour kind of went back to the castle. You flew your drone up yep. outside, um, and he took me up into this bell tower. We wanted a shot of in the bell tower. And the whole story with the bell tower was so creepy because it turned out there was like an orphan or something that someone in the family had adopted. 
But they didn't want the rest of the family to know about. Right. Didn't know that. Yeah. It was a kid, and they made him a little room in the bell tower. <laughs> I mean, it was so freaky. And this bell tower is like, the room wasn't bigger than a ping pong table. And it had a ladder in the middle of it. It goes up two or three flights like that. And there's like pigeon poo and everything up there. But this little boy had lived up there, you know, maybe 100 years ago or something. Right. I mean, it was the creepiest thing. I don't know what happened to the kid if, if he grew up and eventually... I mean, how do you hide a person for that long? Pretty difficult. It's, it's a big But place. it's a big house. Really big. Yeah. You could feasibly do that for a couple months, I think. At some point, like, that man's got to go outside, right? <laughs> uh, but we pack up. That was one experience. I might try to find that link to it in the show notes and get some cool footage, and we're on our way. And this is... Another long day where we're going from sort of the, the middle of Wales and we're going to go all the way up to Scotland. Right. That's a pretty long drive. Yeah, we were going to go right to Scotland, but I believe we went through Yorkshire. Yeah. We ended up going near the Lake Districts. I'm not sure if we went through the Lake Districts, but we, we certainly skirted around the edge. And you'll remember that's the place where we met the, the couple of guys who um, we, we couldn't understand what he was saying. And then there was the guy with the long driveway who kind of shouted at us. Yeah. So when you get further up into England, another four or five hours really from Wales. Yeah, it's called the Yorkshire Dales. Yorkshire very, Dales. Very popular place. Beautiful roads. Top Gear films there a lot. Yeah. Because you have rolling hills and, and these canyons with sort of black rocks on either side and sheep everywhere and big viaducts that trains go across and like these clear uh, babbling brooks right beside the road. So we go through this and, and it was the most beautiful thing because you had almost an afternoon light the whole day. Yeah. It was weird. I don't know if it was like the latitude that we were at or what. Not sure. It's like the light you have in the U.S. about six o'clock at night in the summer where it's not golden yet but it's really like kind of glowy you know yes we had that all day and the airbnb we had booked was in scotland though like right on the southern end so we have to scoot 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 and edinburgh or glasgow can't remember no it wasn't any of that it was in like some college town remember it wasn't newcastle it was up further from newcastle right We'd have to log back in and check. Yeah, we have to look at it. But we stopped there, and on the way, we found another incredible opportunity to, to get out and explore. Just as we were crossing into Scotland, right before you get there is a, a pull-off on the road. you got to go into like some villages and stuff for a few miles, and you end up at Hadrian's Wall. Right. If you haven't been to Hadrian's Wall and you live in the UK, you need to go there. Yes. I've never been. It's literally at the opposite end of the country for me. So if I was to drive from my home to the Scottish border where the wall is, I would say that's about nine-hour drive. Nine hours. So it's quite a way, and I've never been there until now. Yeah. Or then. It's the inspiration for the wall in Game of Thrones. And this thing is like 2,000 years old. It's built by a Roman emperor when the Romans occupied Great right. Britain. It's still there. 
it is and it's kind of crazy because again we got there really really late you know I, it was probably about 7.30 yeah. by the time we got there certainly the sun was on its way down and um, of course I parked up in a car park and got the drone out just, just like the other places Joe you got out and, and actually walked the wall yeah. but at that point we, there was nobody there to tell us what we could and couldn't do so I just remember you jumping up on the wall and walking its length and, you know, and I'm pretty sure everybody does that, you know. It was just a really special moment for me. There were no signs or anything to say you shouldn't do that? No. Um, you can walk right up to it. But for me, it was a really special place because I wasn't watching Game of Thrones at the time or anything, but it was a special place because I had done some DNA research. And I had found out that my ancestry dates back uh, to right in that area of Great Britain, like the Scottish-English border, right. but also into Italy. So the best deduction of that was that there's some part of me that was a Roman of some kind. Roman emperor. I doubt that. But probably a vagrant because they got shipped to England right? and were stationed at the wall and then intermingled with... The Celts or whoever it was that was up there, they were trying to keep yeah. out. Yeah. So I walked at first like up along this wall, and it stretches all the way across the island of Great Britain. I mean, it's not like just a section of wall. It's no. like a 200-mile-long... Side to side. Yeah, huge. It's not like the Great Wall of China. It's only four or five feet tall at this point. It had been 10, something like that. Um, but it was very, very, very solid. I mean, it's Roman construction, and I was able to like sort of lean on it and then I actually climbed up on top of it to like sit and kind of take in the sunset looking out uh, north towards Scotland and there was also a fort there you could explore and I spent quite a while there actually the sun went down it's about four or five hours you were out on your own and I I had flown the drone back half a dozen times to refresh the batteries Mm -hmm. you know so we were out there a long time we were and I remember this weirdest thing um of course, some of that we're shooting. So the reason we're out there that long is we're shooting photos and videos and that kind of stuff. But as the sun went down, I was sort of sitting in this old Roman fort. And I saw an, an antelope, of all things. I don't know if they're native there or what, but I promise you, I looked up and there was like a deer looking at me. It wasn't a deer, though. It was an antelope with like pronghorns and stuff like you would see out in Wyoming. Uh, and then I saw like some owls and of course loads of ravens you know hopping around and the moon comes up at this point i'm like all right we're an hour from the airbnb and and we gotta go yeah like i've i've held us up too long so we got we get back in the car and another night drive pretty uneventful yeah got to the airbnb got some pizza just kind of sat down answered a lot of emails from angry people in the u.s looking (laughs) for us yep and nice (laughs) And that was it. That was day three. So in three days, we'd already seen more than most people see in the UK on a whole trip, really. Yeah, that's, I would guess that's probably about 2,000 miles in three days. It's a massive amount of drive time. Anywhere from about 10 to 15 hours a day drive time. Yeah. Was Looking back on that, we'll, when we get to the end of the podcast, we'll look back on it and see if we would have changed anything about that. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the Isle of Skye. 
Uh, the Isle of Skye is sort of our next destination. Right. And I don't remember how many hours it was from where we had stopped, just across the Scottish border. It was still a long way. Because it's properly like up in the highlands. Yeah. We had to go up the, uh, it's one of the longest roads in the UK. It's called the A9 mm-hmm. up through Inverness and, uh, and things like that. And, you know, we, we hadn't really planned to use that as a filming location. And we didn't, to be fair. But I'm, I kind of wish we did because that road was incredible. It was right through the mountains and it was just gorgeous. Yeah. If, if you're going anywhere in the Scottish Highlands, you have to go up the A9, and it's a really enjoyable drive. And and when you say you have to go up the A9, you literally have to go you up do. the A9. There's no other way to get to the Highlands. Um, Edinburgh and Glasgow are sort of, in, I don't know if they're called the Lowlands, but that's what I would call it. Yeah. It's not really mountains, um, but just up the road, take the A9, and all of a sudden you're in Cairngorms National Park. Right. Which is Jaw-dropping. I mean, we started in Wales, and for Americans can get a point of reference here. We'll call Brecon Beacons Mountains like an Ozark level. You go into Snowdonia, and they're like sort of the Appalachians, big rolling mountains. And by the time you get to Cairngorms, you're sort of in like California territory. I mean, they're getting really like legitimately right big. Um, and I remember going through there. We had to have stopped somewhere halfway, though, because... It was like sunset when we went through there again. It was, and we had to have an unscheduled stop-off at a hospital, you remember. Right. You got sick. I did. All right. So this is another instance where perseverance comes into play. Because you've already done a lot to break out of your shell. I mean, you you said you didn't travel much before this trip. So it's a big step to kind of get out on your own uh, anyway. Yes. But... There are some realities. And halfway up the A9, you got sick. We had to stop at like a little pharmacy. That's right. And they were like, we can't help you here. You need to get to a hospital. So what was the deal? It was something to do with your leg and the amount of driving we'd done. Yeah, it was some sort of infection on an old uh, surgery uh, mm-hmm. site on my leg. And, you know, we, we had to re-ring the emergency services. And they were like, you know, you need to come in right now. Um, and of course they were like, well, we can't see you for three or four hours, but we need you to come in now. And they wanted us to stay near Glasgow. That's where they wanted to see us. And we're like, we're already so late for where we're heading for. Is there any way we can like rendezvous at another hospital almost along our journey? And, and thankfully they were, they were so helpful. They got us in and we were at that hospital for maybe an hour. And then we were on our way. In Inverness, yeah. That's and, right. And really, it's a, Inverness is a, a cool town. It's on the shore of Loch Ness. Yeah. Which was also a huge deal. I remember going across this bridge and you're like, holy shit, there's, like, he's in there. <laughs> Though I know the Loch Ness monster is underneath me right now. I mean, and it, it's one of those places that seems so far away when you're growing up. Right. Loch Ness, like, wow, it's really out there in the highlands. It's kind of the gateway, though. It is. It's, it's not actually that far as you think it is. You could fly there if you wanted. You could. Um, so the hospital was great. And they fixed you up. I guess they gave you some... In- Just some medication and send us on our way. That was it. And I don't remember where we spent the next night because we're still just so obsessed with like getting to the Isle of Skye. Was it not Nigel's place? There's no way we got that far. 
two knights at Nigel's. I'm pretty sure it was. I think you're right. So, you'll have to excuse my memory. It's a bit jaded from too many beers, obviously, throughout my life. Not today. So, we, we got all the way to the Isle of Skye. Close. We were, we were about an hour south of the Isle of Skye, where we stayed at Nigel's place. That's right. Uh, and then the first day we went and explored the local territory, I seem to remember. Uh, I can't remember what. No, maybe it was the Isle of Skye. We arrived late. We told Nigel we wanted to see Skye, and he was like, no, don't do Skye, do this other area. And we yeah. went to Skye anyway. Which was foolish. Which was about an hour's drive. Yeah. And that was the only day where the weather wasn't very good. The travel gods punished us for yeah. breaking the number one rule of travel, which is always listen to the locals. <laughs> yeah. Always. And we didn't. Nigel, who was our Airbnb host, had like a remote sort of cabin set up out in the wilderness on the coast. And he's, he told us, he said, you know, we know I know you want to go to Sky and all because it's famous. And you see all these Instagram pictures and things. Well, he'd never seen Instagram, but he knew it was famous. He said, but there's this other place called Apple Cross. Right. I'm like, what the hell? Apple Cross? That doesn't sound cool. No. Sky sounds cool. S-K-Y-E. That's adventure. Apple Cross? That sounds like a shitty nursery rhyme. <laughs> We're not going to go there. Nope. And we went on what was kind of a rough day. Um, wasn't a bad day, but we ended up like flying the drone out in these terrible crosswinds. <laughs> uh, it was cold. I was out there just freezing, exploring, and the wind was just ripping fell on a rock that was funny because <laughs> like I, I was hovering probably 10 feet above you and uh, that was cool you know no it wasn't, it wasn't cool you're hopping across these rocks and all of a sudden you just slip and as it was you really hurt your leg over that I face planted into the rock I can't I can't say I didn't laugh about it I'd be lying <laughs> that's what I get for trying to be an idiot so I slip on this rock and, and I'm wounded and I just get up and whatever, shake it off, but it hurts. Well, you had to because you knew you were being filmed. You had to save face at that point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't just lay there. I had to act like it didn't happen and hope the drone was looking the other way. It wasn't. It's terrible. Tragic. And, and then after that, we fly it up again and it almost blows out to sea. That was interesting to say the least. What are, what's your thoughts? So you're... You're watching your drone way up in the air, and, and I'm looking at it at the same screen you are, because we're both in the car at this point, and I'm like, dude. Uh, you told me not to put it in the air. And me being an Englishman, I was like, nah, it'd be all right. It'd be fine. Was it fine? No. So we put it up in the air, and we're on the Isle of Skye, and off to the left of our car is the ocean or the sea. And it's... It's a little bit raining, so you shouldn't fly in the rain anyway. Ultimately, it's an electronic device. Then um, we put it up in the air, and all of a sudden, it's, it's doing 40 miles an hour in the opposite direction. Yeah, and you, know, you didn't notice. I was the one that noticed. You did. So I'm, I'm pushing it full power ahead to come back to us, and it's doing 40 miles an hour in the opposite direction. 
and we were so so lucky that it had a sport mode but that sport mode only works for a couple of minutes you know it just whacks the power right up so at that point we had no choice but to put it in sport mode and hope for the best because it was it was out to sea at this point it was so we flicked it over into sport mode and it flew back towards us and we had no choice but to crash land it in the field you're you're like just crash land it it's better than losing it so that's what we did yeah it was less of a field though i remember this specifically because i had to go get it you did i sat in the nice warm air-conditioned car while you went and got wet and dirty yeah because the field was actually like a bog it was nice soft landing though yeah it was in muddy (laughs) shoes it was a disaster and again i can't reiterate this enough all of that was because we didn't listen to the local we did the day after though we did we did finally make it up to apple cross where nigel told us to go and it was really really impressive place well we wanted to head to a specific bridge well, I wanted to head to a specific bridge. From Top Gear. It was on Top Gear, and it's been... Aston Martin have used it to film their, their cars um, for advertising campaigns. Just a really impressive structure. And Apple Cross, even. Apple Cross. Yeah, Apple Cross uh, just happened to be on the route towards that bridge. Yeah. So we drove for it, and it was he was right. We should have gone there and explored it more than we did. Yeah, that's true. We lost... We saw a bit of it, and it really looked like it would have been all around, like, way, way, way cooler than the sky. So, yeah. I'll put that on my recommendation list, even though we didn't explore it a whole lot. Um, it's definitely a must if you're in that area. Right. Um, and then we we did the big day, and the big finale, which was this bridge that you said Aston Martin had filmed on. Yeah, I don't remember the name, but it was just a, a curved bridge that you know, goes across this, uh, it was like a valley with a river underneath it. There's a picture of our sold outside Raven sticker on the bridge's sign. You left a, a sticker there, yes. Yeah, and a bridge is called Cowless Cumin or something like that. I don't recall, I would have to Google it. It's way up in the middle of Scotland. It is. And we, we must have driven across that bridge 50 times as we filmed from various various spots. You know, with the drone coming up from underneath the bridge just as the car was driving by on top of the bridge. It is just a really impressive structure. It's The way I would describe it is a huge canyon. And the bridge actually curves with the road over the length of this canyon. Yep. Uh, and it kind of comes out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this part of Scotland is so far up in the highlands that the landscape has become like primordial. There are these big green mountains that are just shapes that you've never seen before. Right. And they're weathered by the wind and the water over in glaciers, like over millions and millions of years. And the landscape is just like, just something like lost in time. Yeah. And there's these little ribbons of asphalt that cut through it. And on the side of these ribbons, you find like the ruins of old castles that don't even have names, signs, visitor centers, nothing. Yeah. They're just ruins you actually went in and explored one of them it was at the side of the road just just past the bridge yeah and i know for a fact top gear has been to that that location just last year actually yeah and they've been there many times before but just imagine a a small house on the side of the road made with old cobbled bricks 
and it had no roof and no windows and it had no doors. It was just a shell. And, and you're in walking around and I'm parked a mile away. And I, I'm actually flying the drone through the windows and, you know, that, well, window openings, should we yeah, say, yeah. door openings. And the roof uh, where, where it would have been. Yep. Uh, the wind is really bad. How I never flew that into the walls. I have no idea, even to this day. Because you're it was a better a drone pilot than I am. <laughs> I mean, the building was tiny. You know, any responsible drone pilot would not flow, fly a drone into that small space. But it worked. Well, as we've already illustrated, you're a bit of an irresponsible drone pilot. Yeah. That's, that's the Brit in me. We don't worry about stuff until it's happened. So, to be fair, though, it's your way of exploring it. It was. So... These ribbons have these, you know, crumbling towers on either side, and these huge lakes, huge, huge lakes, and they, a lot of them actually have their own Loch Ness legends associated with them that we don't really know about in America, but um, probably stories worth telling actually some point on the blog. There's a, there's a whole series of lake monsters around the world, and almost all the Scottish lakes have a legend of giant serpent creature in them. Um, and then... The hill's kind of clear for a bit, and the ribbon cuts down and really starts dancing these tight, you know, switchback turns that lead down to this bridge. And then the only thing you see on the side of the road are, are little shrubs, sheep, and a broken down TVR every now <laughs> and then. Yeah. And some helpless man who's trying to fix his car that still runs on a carburetor for some reason. And it never works. And you get to the bridge, and, and this. I don't know, it was like, it wasn't technically the end of our road, but it was the goal at the end of everything, you know? Yeah. That's what we were trying to get to, so there was a real sense of completion there. Yeah, and, and that bridge is very near the North Coast 500 road, which is our equivalent to Route 66. You know, it's, it's, they're saying it's the best driving road in the world right now, even ahead of Route 66. It's a good thing that we didn't go any further. Yeah, we, we couldn't. At that point, we had driven, I don't know, three and a half, four thousand miles. And we were due to, we needed to get back to London uh, the day after. So we stopped in an old, um, it was like a, like a farmhouse. 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 Yeah. You know, a really high-end converted far farmhouse uh, called Redgates. And that was near Inverness. Uh, then we had to drive down the whole right-hand edge of the country. 16-hour drive. It, it, it was a 16-hour drive, yeah. And we had, we had scheduled to stop in many of those locations on the right-hand edge of our country, and we just ran out of time. So it was literally a 16-hour marathon to get you back to London. But um, you'll remember the building beside the farmhouse. You were a little creeped out about that. Uh, yeah, uh, the ghost vibes went off in there too. As it, it was like an old carriage house or something. It was pretty big. Yep. It had definitely been abandoned for a long, long, long time. It was, uh, it was hot. It was haunted. It, well, it looked haunted, and you were creeped right out. I mean, your bedroom looked over this, far, this old farm. Was yeah. it a farmhouse or a coach house? No, nah, man. What all was right. it? it was a, all right. We were in an old carriage house. And the abandoned building across the way was a school. Really? It was a big-ass old school. 
It was really creepy. And I remember because it had like a clock tower and like a big gate and stuff in front of it. And we were just in what had been like where the horses and buggies and, and crap were stored. Right. Which was still a really big structure. It's huge. So the school itself, I mean, they've probably redone it by now, but the thing was really freaky. It had graffiti and stuff all over it. Um, but we did fine. And we actually put on Top Gear that night, ate another pizza, and <laughs> called it a trip, really. Which, which brings me sort of to the end of it and sort of to some questions that I want to ask you about it. How did this experience change your outlook on your own country? It taught me that there's a lot more about my country than I could have ever imagined. And I should take the time to go out and see these places. I remember specifically when we headed to Scotland, you know, before you'd ever been there, you, you kind of like would joke about Scotland, like oh, everybody up there sucks, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, this, we've got a, a bit of a rivalry. The, this, the Scots hate the English. You don't say. And, and the, the English hate the Scots. I wonder why. No idea. Well, how do you, did, did any experience we had there change that when you actually met some of the local people? Well, I expected the Scottish to be quite unfriendly to a Brit. Mm -hmm. And they, for me, were the nicest people of the entire trip. Yeah. That was, it completely changed my opinion of Scottish uh, people and Scotland as a whole. When, when you've gone home and people have talked to you about Scotland, is, do you relay that? I do. Are they kind of surprised to hear that? They are. Yeah. That's interesting. All right, so other experiences. What have you learned as somebody with a mobility issue? How did it help you in your everyday life when you got home? It taught me to go out and try more. You know, it's very easy when you've got issues to say, okay, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. You can. you just got to find a different way of doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I didn't see all the things you saw. You know, you went into buildings and, you know, sometimes you could read the history or artifacts that certainly couldn't be seen from a drone. But I found that you were very good at photographing the inside of buildings where I couldn't go. So I, I was able to see what you saw, albeit not in real time. Um, so, yeah, don't don't be complacent. Don't sit at home and think you can't do something. Find a way to do it. Would you ever go on another road trip across your own country? I'm looking forward to doing another one. Do mm -hmm. you think there's some stuff that you miss? I think there's a lot of stuff we miss. We saw a lot, but I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think so. And we learned a really important lesson, as we were both kind of rookie travelers at the time, uh, which was slow down. Yeah. Yeah. We, do, saw, do we saw everything and nothing. Yeah. Do less, but do more. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we were only there for a week, and almost all of that time was drive time. We didn't really stop and explore properly the various places we were going to. So we, we kind of saw them as we, we passed through, but never really saw them, you know, in the real sense. What places would you recommend uh, someone from America go see? Well, I would like to go back to Snowdonia and do that properly, and I think you have since then. Um... Brecon Beacons are high on the list for me, and so are the Scottish Highlands. Either of those, you can't go wrong. That's right. And Laura's Diner. Laura's Diner is fantastic. You can't miss Good that. Good chick as well. Yeah, nice lady. Um, Andrew, I think that about covers it for this trip, but I want to ask you one final question before you go, because I'm, it's a little bit weird. I'm looking at you across this, a ping pong table from me, hmm. and below that is Main Street, is my street in Memphis. It's a long way away from Plymouth, England. It is. Would you have ever come here 10 years ago? No. 
And what changed that? In large part, the, the road trip two years ago. You know, it's very easy to stay at home and not do a lot or, or work or whatever it is you get up to in day-to-day life. Um, the road trip opened my eyes to going out and seeing things in a different, different ways. And this, this trip to America has taken that further because not only have I come here, but I've conquered my fear of airports and how large they are. You know, I've got no issue with flying, but the, the sheer size of these buildings when you've got mobility issues, I feel I used as an excuse for too long. So that's, that's eradicated that excuse. Um, the, the, the disability scooter I use allows me to see things on the ground, you know, and it's, I can put it up myself in 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. So that trip in conjunction with this trip has entirely changed my view on traveling. And you're actually using your scooter on this trip? All the time. The hang up before was what? A, we didn't stop. We, we didn't have time to even get it out of the car, let alone use it to actually see the places. Mm-hmm. We did too much in too little time. And, and I enjoyed every second of it. But had we do that again, I think if we were to follow the same route, we need three weeks. I would agree. I would agree. So lessons learned. If you think you can't do something, you probably can. Go out and do it. Go out and find a way. Go out and do it. Lesson two, give yourself plenty of time to do it. Mm. If you're going to take a vacation, take a vacation. Yes. Don't cram it all into a week. And the third one, always, always, always listen to the locals. (laughs) Yeah, you're right about that. That wraps it up for this week's Get Lost podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills. You can read more at soldoutblog.com. Here with Andrew McDonald at metalpotato.com. If you need a new website, you need to call Andrew. We've been building websites together for over five years now, uh, we have a host of happy clients. We do. And we use the money to go travel the world. It's a good deal. We'll see you next time. Bye.